Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. a dark side to everything and more so than even knowing what you want is really finding happiness in what you have. Hey everybody, it's Ash here and I have Amanda Steinberg, serial entrepreneur, founder of The Daily Worth, financial expert, and we are going to leave no stone unturned. Today we want to talk about how to figure out what you really want and more importantly, how to get it. Uh, how to actually create it in your life. So before we go even deeper, uh, Amanda, thank you so much for making the time to be here with me. Oh, I am so happy to be here. Can't wait to get started. Yeah, right before we started recording, I was like, are you ready to fucking rage? It's 8.30 in the morning and we are getting down. You know, one thing you said to me before we started recording was you said, I've always kind of known what I wanted. And that really sat with me. I was like, why do you think that is that you came into this world, into this body so much clearer than I think so many of us? What do you think it is about you? Well, you know, I was raised by a single mom who was always raised herself to be the perfect wife. And when she and my dad separated, I was only two years old. I witnessed her go through a very dark period in her life where everything she thought she was supposed to be, she couldn't live out. Um, and so as a, as a very young child, I witnessed someone who was trapped in a mentality that didn't reflect what she wanted. And I think that's what inspired me at a young age to say, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't quite understand this. I'm too young, but I know that I am going to, I'm not going to live out a formula, um, that is imposed upon me that is going to set me up for trouble in the future. So watching, and you know, I think a lot of people, their pain growing up translates into some sort of way of being. And so it sounds like watching your mom have any sort of darkness influence you wanting to be in control of your life on some level, or what do you think that was? What, what do I think the pain was? Yeah. What do you think the pain was that really gave you a message? Like, I am not going to be this way. Or what, what did you decide in growing up with a mom watching her go through what she went through? It was less about our lifestyle because Fortunately, we were, um, you know, my dad was always financially able to provide. Mm -hmm. Um, It was much more about, uh, it was just down to like more about core identity. Who am I? What's important in my life? And how do I maintain my individuality, especially as a woman where wife, becoming a wife and becoming a mother tends to exceed whatever it is that we are personally interested in. Tell me more about that. It exceeds what we are personally interested in. So what do you mean by that? 
Well, I mean, I can just really speak on, on my own personal circumstances. I remember, so I'm 41 years old. It was probably around 1985 when I was about seven. I was watching Live Aid, which was a big, big, big charity fundraiser for um, starving children in Ethiopia. And it was the first time I'd ever seen visual images that just made absolutely no sense. How do we live in a world that seemingly has so much abundance and yet we allow this type of starvation and suffering to exist? And at a very young age, I just decided that I was going to work on these big issues. I had no idea what that meant, but it, it, it became clear to me that the work I wanted to do in the world um, in terms of helping other people suffer less mm -hmm. was more important to me than whatever type of path was being charted as a young American woman. You know, it's interesting to me, having coached so many women earlier in my career on their career and on what they're meant to do, because it seems like everybody has a different language. And what I'm hearing with you is that impact or having some sort of cause or mission was enough to move you. Does that feel accurate? Kind of what you're saying about why? Yeah. And it, it not only was it enough to move me, it became more important than the nuances of my my individual life. The greater good had, was more of an emotional driver for me than the circumstances of my personal life. Got it. Okay. And how has that translated into your career? I'm sure it's made a lot of success, but what have you given up or where have you felt like something's missing because of that? Well, it's, it's less about what I'd given up. It was my, it was my deep confusion all throughout, especially my twenties, which I resolved in my thirties somehow was that I, I still have felt this enormous pressure to get married, to have children and to create that ideal home domestic life where I hosted dinner parties and, you know, was the perfect nurturing mother. The thing that became my personal transformation and my journey that has really defined my life was recognizing that I had, I had strived so hard to be normal while also having all of these ambitions and the break that occurred because I was trying to be two people at once. And it's very, very hard to be an ambitious woman and to be focused on global issues while also being the perfect mother that who breastfeeds and attachment parents and, you know, creates the perfect home. Gosh, that's, that's like so many full-time jobs in there. Yeah. Um, and it was recognizing that, you know what, I didn't need to be the wife that I thought I was supposed to be. I didn't need to set up motherhood as all of the magazines told me I should and learning how to design life on my terms and make everything work so that I could thrive and that I didn't crumble in the face of all of it. I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm like, that's incredible. And I remember when I finished graduate school and wanted to work in counterterrorism and wanted to make an impact in the world, I didn't feel like I had any control of my life. And it wasn't like I felt like a victim. It just felt like creating life on my terms felt like a pipe dream. And so, and, and obviously, you know, things have changed since then. But I'm so curious, like, what do you think that mindset difference is in somebody who says to themselves, like you, you know, I'm going to create the life that I want versus everybody else who feels like they're kind of subjected to having this life that is with a bunch of checkboxes? Well, I think it's because I fulfilled on all of those checkboxes and it didn't make me happy. I got to this breaking point where 
I felt like I was constantly trying to show up on the playgrounds and show up at the neighborhood events and put on a face that was supposed to be reflective of a happiness that I did not feel inside. And for lots of people, certain types of traditional life paths do actually generate lots of happiness. And you do find the partner early on and you do embrace motherhood and love all of that. The way I had initially constructed my life, I wasn't happy. Mm. And I got to the point of depression and misery and breakage where, frankly, I didn't really have a choice. Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel like I had a choice in the matter. And I had to kind of strip my life down and hit the reset button and start over only because I'd gotten to the point of, frankly, desperation of trying to hold it all together. And it just was not working. So interesting. You talk about this. I'm writing a chapter of my book and it talks about how like Alcoholics Anonymous calls this breakdown breakthrough. And then other books have called it the great emptying, right? Where you let go of everything and you make space for the universe to kind of work its magic on you. I'm curious because I think a lot of people listening right now, they're probably thinking, yeah, like I'm not really into my life. If somebody's really honest with themselves as they're listening, they're probably driving to work right now thinking like, I don't really know about this job and I don't really know about my partner. And so I'm writing right now about like the question, how did we get here? You know, and I know that we can give a lot of bullet points of like, well, everybody told us to do this and we didn't question it. But I mean, really, how do you think we get so disconnected where we get to that moment of misery? I think it's it's just the way society works. It's what depth psychologists would call the collective narrative, which every society, every religion, every subculture has. It's a story that we all tell ourselves that creates the unity that allows us to live in civilization together. It's a collection of agreements about, you know, what's right and wrong. For example, we all believe that, you know, consensual sex is right and rape is wrong, obviously. I don't think anyone can really debate you on that one. But then there's ones that are far more nuanced, which is, you know, I'll give you a controversial one that, you know, sick children need their mother more than their father. Mm. This is an interesting one to unpack where, you know, for working women who have children, that's a lot of pressure where it's always on the on the woman to take care of the sick children and, and make sacrifices in her career versus the husband or the father because we have that cultural belief that mothering energy is more powerful for children than fathering energy. And there's so many, so many, so many examples of this that we all accept as truths that aren't necessarily true. They might be true. They also might not be true, mm. but that put an enormous amount of pressure on women to construct our lives in a certain way that mm. end up being more than any woman can handle. And I actually wrote down what you said before we started recording. You said, we're sold a story about what happiness looks like. And a lot of that is in following a formula. And the problem with these checkboxes is it forces us to live lives that don't sync up with who we really are. You said the secret to happiness for women is to having the courage to break through those formulas. You were like channeling. I was in church before we started recording with you. Amanda, you were channeling such good information. And I'm so curious, like, what do you think it is that gives somebody the courage to, number one, see that they're following a formula? And number two, because sometimes we think we're chartering our own path, but really mm -hmm. we're following a formula. So I'm curious, 
what do you, what do you think it takes or how does somebody step into even taking a look at the formula they're following that might not be working for them and to starting to even consider the process of really stepping into the courage to break through it? The first is to question the things that we believe are true. For example, that marriage creates happiness and a level of security. I have been married. I've also been divorced. I'm also in an amazing relationship, but we are not married and we don't live together. And so I think that's not just about the practicalities of your life and how you set up your life. It's really about being able to look at your core identity and the decisions that you've made about what you believe is going to make you happy and being willing to not necessarily say that they aren't true, simply being able to ask the question, is that true? Do you understand the nuance of of what I'm saying there? Yeah. And a good book, I think for anybody who's interested in this, have you read Byron Katie's Loving What Is? I absolutely have. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is straight, straight up. Um, what I learned, I think a lot with her as well is really questioning, but it's interesting because as you were talking, I was questioning, I was taking a look at what formula I'm following and it's kind of slippery, Amanda, because it's almost like we don't know what we don't know. Like, I think that I want to get married and have kids. When I was a kid in preschool, and I've said this before at my graduation ceremony, we were like, I don't know, like six years old. They all put us up at the mic and said, tell us what you want to be when you grow up. And, you know, all the parents kind of got a little kick out of their kid stepping up there. And I stood up and said, I want to be a mom and a writer. And right now I'm writing my first book deal. And I I genuinely feel like I really want to be a mom, but I don't really know what that actually feels like until I do it. And I think that's the slippery slope a lot of us get stuck in is we follow a formula that sounds good. So I guess I'm curious, like, how do you question things? You know, because to me, I'm like, well, is it true? Do I really want to get married? And do I really think that's going to make me? I think it would. I love partnership. I love connection, but I, I don't know. So kind of what do we do for everybody listening who's, Like, I think I'm happy with my plan. You know, how do you really question it? I think you have an inherent knowing. For me, I always knew that I wanted to be a mother, but I never needed to be a wife. Probably because I saw such darkness on the divorce side, you know, at a young age, I was exposed to it. I think you know what you gravitate toward, but then you're afraid if you don't do the other things that somehow you're either going to be abnormal, your kids are going to be weird, or you're going to end up old and alone with cats, which is funny because I am now old and living independently (laughs) with cats and I love it. And I think the other thing is pay attention to people in your life who have what you think you want But look closely. There are so many women I know who absolutely love being mothers. And then there's women I know who feel completely crushed under the pressure of it and really had no idea how hard it was going to be to be a mother. And, you know, I think that just goes along with everything is that there's a bright side and a dark side to everything. And more so than even knowing what you want is really finding happiness in what you have. Easier said than done. But for, for any of you who are single and, and really wishing that you were in a relationship or who don't have children and want children, I'm really harping on these. This, is, this can be, or who want to be an entrepreneur and are in a job, or maybe you want to live in another country and you live in this country. There's so many, so many, so many examples where it's simply just starting to go, why is it that I want something that's different from what I have right now? And why is it that I'm placing value and potential satisfaction 
when plenty of people do those things and don't actually obtain that satisfaction. Yeah, like, and the, and the reason is because everybody's so different that they're going towards the same goal, but everybody's going to hold that result differently. And I, I love also just kind of thinking about this idea of seeing life as an experiment. So after I studied war, I got a master's in spiritual psychology, probably a causal relationship. (laughs) One of the things that I took away from it was that life is an experiment and that if you see it as an experiment and you don't have to see anything as these big commitments that, because I think a lot of people relate to commitment in such a heavy way. Whereas to me, I'm really in touch with the fact that life is always changing. Things are always moving. You love somebody until you don't. You're in a career that you like until you don't, you know, like things just move. Um, And I know that comes from Byron Katie's book, I Love You Until I Don't. I want to be here until I don't. And one of the things that I've done recently, not on purpose, but I've just found is that kind of in alignment with what we're saying, if you take a look at the formula that you think you want to follow or the life plan you think you want to have, one amazing experiment that I recommend, and I would love to hear if you've done this, Amanda, is... I started to just purposefully surround myself with people who are living out the dreams that I think I have. And it has been so eye-opening for me. Um, an example, when I was a kid, my dad lost all of his money. And so a lot of my childhood was about my dad bouncing back. And it was very stressful as a kid to watch because I felt a lot of worry about him because he was worried all the time. And... I remember as a kid thinking, I'm going to make a ton of money. Like, I'm going to solve this, you know? And I started having a crowd as I succeeded in any level of entrepreneurship that had a lot of money. And I started listening to my friends who were the wives of a lot of these men or who were the generators of this income who were really unhappy. They were unhappy because they couldn't agree on a prenup agreement. They were unhappy because somebody was spending all the money. Like, there's so much around money. And what I learned directly was how much it doesn't obviously bring happiness because I'm around too many people who don't have it and they have the money. So that was an eye opener for me to have the direct experience of it because people talk about it, but until you experience that. Um, so I'm curious, like, did you have any experiences growing up that kind of myth busted for you, the things that you thought you wanted, or do you have any recommend recommendations for anybody listening to get more clear on what they want as far as like doing an experiment, surrounding yourself with people who have that. Um, what, what thoughts do you have for people right now who are willing to question what they want? You know, I love the advice that you gave to find the people who are living the life that you think that you want, even if it breaks from the norms and spend more time with them. Mm-hmm. You know, weirdly, I did that starting at a young age. I was always unconventional. I grew up in downtown Philadelphia and therefore had so much independence to be able to travel to neighborhoods with very different cultures from my own um, and be exposed to all of that very independently. But you know what happened was the, the family pressure, which I don't think my family did on purpose. I think it's just because they are more conservative minded than I am about these things. The pressure to conform was more powerful than what I observed, what I wanted in those who I had been exposed to. And so even though I had surrounded myself with those people, I still followed the formulas because I was so, so scared to show up as different and not check those check boxes. I don't know if I'm, it's like, how do I protect all of you who haven't made the same mistakes that I have for making those mistakes so that you can live a happier life sooner than I have? 
it's um, it's really an individual experience. If instead of guiding those of you to figure that out in advance, I I just want to help give you the courage to be the person in the room that says, you know what, I don't want to follow the formulas. Really, just to make a declaration that it's okay to be perceived as not totally normal or as whatever the heck that means anyway, or to be um, someone who is a risk taker or someone who is experimenting. And what does it bring up in your body to be someone who questions norms? Is that something that you are comfortable with? And if so, how do you begin in conversation? Even if your life doesn't actually reflect what it is, just being able to converse about what that looks like. For so many women I know, it's about hitting age 40 right now and not yet having children. And what I so want to liberate them from is seeing, for some, having children will bring them a level of satisfaction and happiness. But for others, it's because they are chasing an idea of a feeling that they could actually bring about another way where if it doesn't happen in the way they want to, we'll also be okay. You have not failed and you will not be unhappy as a result of it. I'd much rather just liberate you from the ideas of needing to follow normalcy. That's incredible. And I also think, you know, just listening to you, I'm questioning it. And I know Eckhart Tolle would say how there's nothing stronger than somebody's desire to self-identify. I get that because it's so scary. Not everybody's like you, Amanda, where you can totally be waving some level of what feels like a freak flag and you're going to be receptive because you question norms. Most people aren't questioning norms. So I think there's like an extraordinary vulnerability and sense of not belonging sometimes when we question norms. And so for me, even right now, I'm like, okay, all of the work I'm doing in my life, and by the way, I've been really questioning my norms, so I've been shifting, is to be a mother and to get married. And it affects everything because I think anybody listening right now, think about the formula that you want to follow, the goals you want to reach. It really affects what you do today you know, and the decisions you make. So for example, the fact that I want to find the right partner, I'm pretty like Judge Judy when it comes to dating, you know, like I'll sit down mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, they'll say something and I'll be like, like, this isn't going to work. And, and it takes me out of the experience of that human being because I've already gotten clear that they don't line up with my goals. It's not like I'm super transactional. Obviously there's warmth, there's conversation, but then there's clarity or being a mom. Like that's been my biggest goal since I was a little kid. And to think of who I am without those goals, like it feels really scary for me personally. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I'm just here, you know, without those goals, I'm just a person sitting here. I don't have right. an identity. Who am I? Who am it's I? like, almost like you lose your identity and that's, there's nothing worse than feeling like you lose your identity because if you don't know who you are, I'm sure that's a big cause of depression. Yeah, yeah. And I think like feeling a sense of existential crisis, you know. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know what's been really interesting in this process for me? I've had a lot of different mentors. One was like super blunt where if you can't hold, she's just going to offend you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, But totally. I, really, I really was totally down for her. And she basically 
gave me permission to admit that what I really value, at least in my heart and in my mind, and I'm, and maybe I don't know myself well enough to really own this, but I think I do, is like wanting to be a mom, like wanting to have a connection with a kid, wanting to raise them and nurture them. And what I've learned is that a lot of people have seen me, especially building an audience as a career woman, coaching other women in their careers. And yes, I have facilitation skills. I've done the work. I've done a lot of personal development. I continue to, you know, work in progress for the rest of my life. And I'm realizing more than ever how much I don't want work to lead at all for me, how much I don't feel like I need to make a massive impact. And then the judgment I feel on myself because I hear you, Amanda, and you felt this cause. You saw these pictures of kids in Ethiopia and you were like, wow, I want to make an impact and this is bigger than me. For me, I think when I hear you say that, that links to your core values, which I think anybody listening, we all have our own unique set of core values. So my number one core value is connection. It's not impact. And if I've ever made an impact, it's because I've been seeking connection. So whether that's in the books that I write, the news, like the emails that I write, this podcast, I'm just looking to connect. And if other people see it as me making an impact, that's amazing, but it doesn't really move the needle for me. And it's been kind of a painful experience in my circle of friends, even though they're really supportive. One of the conversations we had at dinner the other night, and a lot of them have huge platforms, and they're talking about how they want their husband or their boyfriend to be willing to take a step back in their careers so that they can take a step forward in theirs. And it felt really lonely to sit there, and I connect with these women so deeply on so many levels, even in business, but it felt really dark and lonely for me to look at all of them and be like, guys, I want to tell you something that you're not going to see coming. And they all looked at me and I was like, I don't really care if I have a big career. And for me to question that norm with myself, because I tied, and the only reason I was able to question it is because I stopped tying my worthiness to my career success. As long as my worthiness and career success were tied, I would never even have been able to see how much I don't even crave career success. It's been such an interesting experience, not with everybody else, but with myself. I have some advice, some points I want to launch into about yes, this. Yes, Which please. is, I think this changes for us every five to 10 years of our lives. You may feel that right now because I hear you yearning for motherhood, which, you know, I love being a mother, but I did not for the first five years of my children's lives. I found the baby stage to be impossible. Mm. And it wasn't until they got older that I really, really started to love motherhood. And I, I appreciate and respect that. And my ambition level has changed as a result as well because of the connection I'm forming with my children who are about 10 now. Um, and I think it's, it's not like we have to set ourselves on a course and follow that course our whole lives. We want the freedom to be able to change based on our changing life circumstances. So what I want to talk with you about right now is how do you set yourself up so that you are able to set those goals, get what you want, and yes. then change your mind and get those new goals, you know, uh, five years later, if you completely that. become a different person, which you're allowed to become. Okay. This is amazing because you're naturally answering my next question was, so what do we do with this? So, yes. um, I know earlier when we spoke, you said honing your writing abilities. Um, would that be a tool that you would recommend right now? Or what do you have to say for somebody to get started? 
Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to uturnpodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, so what I would love to go into now is just a few of the things that I want all of you to focus on, not so that you can get in your life what you want right now, but so that you can pivot whenever you freaking feel like it. Um, And it's what gives you the control uh, over your life. So let's talk about those things. This is what enables me to be, you know, one year the crazy hippie with the massive business raising venture capital, and then five years later, really loving my relationship and being a mother and wanting to make lots of money, but not needing to be a mogul. And then probably, you know, I hope 10 years that I go into politics and that I run for political office and gosh, that's going to be a different life experience. So what is it? So what are the things that enable me to do that? And this is what I'm telling you. So if you haven't focused on these things, focus on these specific skills and it will enable you to be able to have whatever you want in life. Mm. And the first one is to have very clear writing abilities. Um, and what I mean by this is, you know, so much happens because we're able to network and we're able to communicate with people who are able to deliver us to where, to where we want to go. Um, I get emails all day long from folks and I'm sending emails all day long to folks. And there is, it's, it's really interesting how, even for those of us who have college degrees, or maybe for those of us who don't, how many of us aren't taught how to communicate clearly in writing. So I'm just going to put that out there. Um, it's, it's everything from how do you write a subject line to how do you not let emotion and stream of consciousness drive the structure of what it is you're writing to, you know, simple grammar things like your versus your and putting the apostrophe in the right place. It really, really impacts how people respond to you and being able to make sure people respond to you is a big piece of getting where you want to go. Isn't it funny that when people think of the word writer, they think of struggling writer, Whereas I think about my friend Craig, who is the number one copywriter in the world with a billion dollars in sale or or myself writing my book. And so I love that you're bringing people's attention to something that is often overlooked. And what about people who are like, I just, I just don't get grammar. Like I, it's hard for me to buy into that because I so get it. But I also know that some people just like, they don't have that side of their brain working. Like, what do you recommend for them to hone their writing abilities? You know, it could be anything from um, taking a a course online to reading more. Um, I find that reading more books is probably one of the best ways to hone your own writing abilities because the patterns become clear in your mind. Or, uh, you know, just finding someone informally in your life to mentor you. I've done that for a number of people in my life where for whatever reason, they never in adulthood developed writing abilities. And I had them send me a few of their emails. Um, and I edited them and sent them back. And I've seen enormous progress in their writing abilities simply because they were focusing on it Mm. and got help. Okay. And I know another step you had mentioned earlier was about technology. So I know that we live in a technology driven world Um, and you recommend, don't say I'm bad with technology, which I've said so many times. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So if you say that you are across the board, a Luddite and bad with technology, you're going to be bad with technology. 
if you recognize that technology is always changing and breaking, um, there's no one out there who's mastered every aspect of technology. It's, um, it's, a, it's a willingness to, I really think in, in order to get what I want in life, there are probably two or three aspects of technology that I've really mastered because I've committed to mastering them. The first is spreadsheets. It's about being able to structure your information in lists and cells so that you can create plans that can have checkboxes or lists where you can track the status of a pipeline or you know, a Google spreadsheet where you have a budget that you can share with someone else and you can collaborate on it. Uh, mastering spreadsheets to me is critical to getting what you want in life. Um, and I usually use Google spreadsheets even more than Excel right now. And I'm not talking about complex formulas and stuff. I'm just saying understanding how spreadsheets work because a lot of getting what you want means being able to translate plans into very concrete, isolated steps. And spreadsheets are great uses for that. And one other example of that is um, just making sure that your phone and your desktop and your computer are all synced up so that if you're getting communication, someone's messaging you through Facebook, you know, once you start to get people's attention because you've got your writing down, you want to make sure that you're able to have the technology that enables you to keep those conversations going, which means making sure that if your phone is five years old and keeps losing its battery, that you are addressing that and recognizing that technology doesn't control our lives. It's simply a tool that we use to get where we want to go. And I think that there's so much mindset that you have to go through if you're like, like I've been, you know, I created a technology-based business with an e-course scaling on the internet. And the whole time I was like, I'm bad with technology. And, you know, you're a money expert, so I can't help but also notice that probably the one thing I hear just as much as I'm bad with technology is I'm bad with money. Um, yeah, let's talk about money. Let's yeah. go there now. Yeah, I would love to just know, you know, why do you think people say that? Why, I've said it before. Why do you think I say that? Why does anybody, I, I think a lot of time we try to check out from the things that overwhelm us or uh, what have you learned from people and how they communicate about money? Well, first of all, I've written an entire book on this. So the book is called Worth It and it's on Amazon if you want to check it out. But I will give you the summary now. So the reason why people talk about being bad with money is if you look back to the Bible, and we live in a Judeo-Christian society here, which our cultural narrative is strongly dominated by these ideas, we hear the meek shall inherit the earth. And I'm sure many of us grew up thinking greed is bad. And if I'm going to do good in the world, then money is the source of evil. And therefore, there's so many layers of stories that we have that to even think about money makes us bad people. But the reality is, is that money, like technology, is just a tool. It doesn't have any meaning. It's something that we use as currency, as energy to get what we want. But if we continue to say, I can't do good and be focused on money, or money is the source of evil, and therefore, if I think about money, I am somehow associating with evil. If those thoughts still dominate your mind, then any small steps that you take to understand what's in your checking account, set up a savings account, think about your retirement, are gonna cause this kind of cognitive dissonance in your brain that's going to sabotage whatever tiny efforts you take. So the first is to let go of those stories. I definitely think there is some validity to greed and how greed is destructive in our world. But that doesn't mean that associating with or wanting to be interested in money makes you greedy or evil. The second thing is to understand um, if you are a woman listening to this, where it's always typically, at least for the last 200 years, not get into that history right now, that it's been the man's job to go to work and think about money. And it's been the woman's job to be nurturing. 
And so we're, we're intimidated in relationships. We don't want to become too good with money because then that makes us unattractive. And so first and foremost, it's just looking at our core ideas about money and rather than trying to fix them or make them different, just asking again, is that true? Not making it false, but going, is that true? It's, it's a nuance of a question where you start to have more freedom about what it is you choose to do with your time and focus on because the norms that we've inherited don't serve us. I also want to note, like, everybody has a different story about money, right? So for you, exploring the idea that money is greedy or evil, for me, the story was money, you lose your money. So like, what's the point of making it? You're just going to lose it all. Like that was the story Mm -hmm. that I had from watching my dad. And I played it out. My first company, we lost about $5 million and that's a whole story. And then obviously I bounced back, but I think it's so real that you create the reality that you're buying into and that it's a set point that you have and that your subconscious mind just has this veto power over your conscious mind. So if consciously you say, I want to learn how to manage my money, but subconsciously it's, but I'm going to lose it all. You know, your subconscious is going to win. And so I heard you say, Amanda, like, let go of that story. But that is the work, right? That is like such a deep, it doesn't always have to be right, but it feels like such a deep dive. Oh, it's dive. so deep. It's yeah. again, because you're losing your identity and it brings you into an existential crisis because yeah. you're like, well, if I don't have those beliefs, who am I? Yeah. But there's, there's a freedom in being able to reconstruct those stories so that they serve you without feeling like you're going against your core values. I'm just so curious if you have any steps for anybody listening who wants to shift their belief system that they're bad at technology or they're bad at money. Like what is your personal approach when you notice yourself saying something that is keeping you stuck? Gladly. So the first thing I want you to do is to make a list of everything that you say when something goes wrong. So for example, you know, every summer until this summer, I finally, finally, finally at age 41 nailed it this summer. But every summer prior between childcare and summer camps and then all of the back to school expenses, my, my savings would just get completely wiped out. And so the story that I'd been telling myself, if I was to make a list of what I had been saying to myself about money for all those years, it's I'm out of control. Mm. That was what my money story was. And yes, I have a feeling of being out of control, but that's specifically what gets triggered when surprises happen in life. So make a list of all of those things. I hate money. I wish someone else would just take care of it. Why can't I have a trust fund? Why does everyone seem to have it so easy? And, and my, you know, my money just seems to completely disappear. So make a list of all of those things for you, for all of us, it may be different. It might be, I'm a spender, not a saver, or my freedom is too important to me, way more important than money, which could be true. Like not everyone cares about money. Money is not a means to an end. It's really just an enabler of the life that you want. So make a really long list. And when you look at that list, figure out the one that makes you the most uncomfortable and circle it. For me, it was I'm out of control. That's my biggest fear in life is that I'm out of control. And then some of the things that I've been talking about on this podcast, I'm going to bring back into this exercise because this is what I do with women all day long, especially around money, is don't necessarily let go of that story because that story is always going to be with you. It's pretty written into your brain at this point and it's going to surface. But if you can ask yourself, is that true? If I ask myself, am I really out of control? No, I'm not actually out of control. The truth of the matter is, is that the American financial system is incredibly broken right now. 
wealth inequality is as big as it was in the 1920s, right before the Depression. I think it's something like 10% of the United States population owns somewhere between 70 and 80% of the wealth. So pretty much everyone is struggling. And we all feel like it's out of control because no one ever taught us. So then what's important is coming up with a new story that replaces that one in those moments. So I jokingly say when my savings gets wiped out, which it didn't get wiped out this summer, I was so freaking happy. But, But what I taught myself in the past when it did get wiped out was not to say that I'm out of control, but instead to say how glad I was that I learned how to create that savings. So yeah, the savings went to zero, but I didn't generate debt, which was a huge step forward for me over where I had been in years past. Wow. So rather than saying I'm out of control or whatever that is for you, recognize the fact that you're even in the conversation and looking at these things and asking these questions is progress unto itself. It's not a sign that you are a failure. You're actually swimming everyone in the United States right now, unless you have a billion dollars, feels like they're swimming upstream on some level. What about when somebody does this exercise, so they're writing down all the thoughts. You said circle the one that makes you the most uncomfortable. I'm guessing what you also meant is like the one that hurts the most. But what if, because I know a lot of people will get stuck here, they read the one that makes them the most uncomfortable or in pain or feels the most heartbreaking on a visceral level, and they believe it, you know, because it's like they can say, because I mean, a part of them really does believe it, of course, but... When they go into your step and say, well, is that really true? I know a lot of people who will argue for their limitation. They will fight for that limitation. And I've had so many coaching clients, especially I had a couple clients who I had to interrupt them and say, you are fighting for your limitation. And so I think a lot of people listening are going to look at the thing and say, is this true? And they're going to say, well, yeah, it is. So like, take a look at me. It's like, I believe the one that hurts me the most is I'm going to lose it all. And there's a real, really big part of me that wants to say, yeah, that is true. I did. So I guess like, what is your recommendation for somebody who, and I know I've done a lot of personal development, so I tend not to do that, but I can see my, anybody doing that. What is your recommendation? Well, I'll tell you what I did. And hopefully in what I did is a lesson for you and how to do it for yourself. Yes. The first thing is being willing to let go that anything is true. That is a big deal is how committed are you to what you believe is true? So for me, what I was so sure was true and was what inspired me to start Daily Worth 10 years ago was I was sure I was a spender, not a saver because I'm an adventure seeker. I care about philanthropy and impact. I'm always willing to spend money to be in the rooms where I want to be. And that is way more important to me than savings. But as a result, anytime I ever put money in savings, because gosh, it is so great to have a cushion when you need it would get wiped out because I was convinced that I wasn't a saver. So what my job was when I finally recognized this, that I was the fact that I was calling myself a spender, not a saver was actually prohibiting me from developing the financial security that I wanted, which was really the freedom and flexibility to have the life that I want. So if you're willing to let go of those truths, what you then need to do is prove to yourself the opposite. Uh. So I was like, oh God, I have to prove to myself that I'm a saver. So I took, did a really simple thing. I got a mason jar and I went into the bottom of my purse and I found all of my change and I put it in the mason jar and I said to myself, I'm a saver. I know that sounds completely ridiculous, but no, staring at the I'm money so in excited. the jar. That's amazing. I money. And then 
I opened up a savings account and I moved $100 into the savings account and I went, I'm a saver because I have a savings account and I have $100. And then guess what? That $100 got wiped out. And then I had money on a credit card and then I had to pay off my credit card bills. But then I, I, it's a muscle that you build where you're literally creating a new script and then proving it to yourself over and over again, even when it gets wiped out and proven the opposite gets proven true. It's the commitment to breaking the truths and rewriting the story and the proof more so. It's just really being open to the idea that you can rewire your own brain by creating simple steps to prove the opposite of what you believe. It's so funny because as I was listening to you, I was really inspired and I was like, I'm going to get a silver piggy bank thing. But then I was thinking, I just got back from Amsterdam a few days ago because I live, I live in Paris parts of the year. And as I heard you talking, I was like, ugh, but then I don't get to go to Amsterdam. Like I'm too busy saving. So I think a lot of people, when they want to rewrite their story, they feel the discomfort or the, the loss you know, the loss of what came with their old story. What came, what comes with my story of I'm going to lose it all is a mentality like, fuck it, I'm going to lose it all. Might as well go on that trip. It's all going to fall apart anyway at some point. So there's a payoff. And so I'm curious, as somebody is rewriting it, they're doing the thing they said they're going to do, which I know um, self-esteem comes from your willingness to to keep promises and commitments with yourself so that that new habit is going to build self-esteem as well. But what do you have to say about that little gremlin that comes in? Because mine came in as I heard you talking to kind of manage that continued pattern. You know, you're going to take that Paris trip. So I'm actually just going to get really practical about money right now and tell you how to handle that financial situation. So if you don't have the money or you're concerned about using your savings and you want to use credit in order to enable that, What's important isn't that you always deny yourself all of those things that you want. It's that you learn how to use credit without disrupting your savings. So here is like the radical thing that I teach that I know works because I've seen it work over and over again. There is a cost to credit. Let's say your credit card costs you 25% interest or 18% interest, and you're about to put something on that because that is more important to you than being a saver, which really just means having money there when you need it, when you have a surprise. Mm -hmm. Like suddenly you decide you want to get married or you want to move or whatever that is. Uh, Remember, this is all going back to creating the life that you want, even if it's abnormal. Part of that is having savings, even if you think having savings is really hard. So what you do is, here's the tactical side. And if you guys want to get out a pen and paper, this is probably the time to do it. If they haven't already. So many things. If they haven't already. Yeah. You can use credit. Just do what you can to use zero interest credit. So let's say you're putting $2,000 on a credit card. Open up a credit card that allows you to not have to pay interest on that. And here is the trick. We have been taught in our society that debt is bad and debt is a disease and we should throw all of our spare money at our debt. What I'm going to tell you to do is actually not to throw all of your spare money at the debt, but instead, let's say that you have $2,000 on a credit card and that you are suddenly just going to start driving every spare dollar after you get back from your trip on that credit card. Instead, let's say you're going to put $600 against that $2,000, take $300 put it against the credit card and then take the other $300 and put it in the savings account and carry that zero interest balance for a couple more months while simultaneously building up your savings. Because what you're doing is 
You're not actually incurring any extra fees if you're able to get very low interest credit. And at the same time, you're building up the muscle and the savings account because if you continue to throw all of your money at your debt, you're actually just going to perpetuate your debt because you're never going to have savings. So you're managing that debt responsibly while also building up the experience of having savings. So the next time you have that, you're not using credit. You're actually using the cash that you've been saving simultaneously. I love that. Wow. And for me, when my entrepreneurial beginnings, I had so many credit cards. And then obviously at some point or another, the interest tapped in, you know, sure. um, and it caught up with me. And I'm, I'm so grateful that things worked and I was able to pay it off, but that hasn't always been the case. And just going back, because I know that when we talk, we started this conversation, we were saying, figuring out what you really want in life, questioning your norms and then how to get it. And you, and you talk about just bringing you back to honing your writing abilities, not saying I'm bad with technology or I'm bad with money, two very common blocks. But another point you gave was saying, understanding who the decision makers are. So I wanted to take it back there just because I know that eventually we're running out of time and this is so interesting to me and I think everybody, um, so what do you have to say for everybody who wants to get what they want in life and make those pivots whenever they want? How do they figure out who those decision makers are? You know, it, it's kind of like you have to be a covert operator. And and this goes back to, this is probably more related to professional pursuits than, you know, marriage or babies. But if part of what you want is maybe you want to move to another country, maybe you want to get involved in philanthropy, maybe you want to apply for a grant, maybe there is a job that you want. There's a woman I'm mentoring right now who has a nonprofit organization that she really wants to obtain a grant for. And so she said, can you please nominate me on their website? And that was her best approach at figuring out how to get that grant. And what I said was, actually, you need to go on to LinkedIn and figure out who the executive director of that organization is and simultaneously email that person while applying so that that person, because no one does this. If you just apply into an inbox, you, you may not even get read. But if you figure out, it's publicly available who those decision makers are and being able to write that clear and concise, grammatically correct email to the decision maker, just so that you get on the radar. I've gotten so many things in life because I figured out who the decision maker was and I just made sure they knew who I was because so few people do that. They will seek you out of the pile and make sure you at least get looked at, which I got to tell you is like 90% of any application. You've literally just described the methodology in my Job Offer Academy course. Like uh-huh. I, I have them come up with 75 companies, find the head of HR, find the person who'd be your potential boss. Here's how to write the perfect cold email. Like that's what we all cover in Job Offer Academy. And that is the and it sauce. Works. It works. It's the sauce. I mean, there's so many different things we do before and no one does that. It. <laughs> nobody does it. But it's also, there's so many things you do before that, right? Like how to talk about yourself effectively so that when that person responds, you know how to talk about yourself or how to have a resume that is worth looking at. So by the time they open your email, they're like, oh, this girl's legit. Because sometimes people are really good at marketing themselves as far as like getting in touch with the right person, but then their materials don't support the person being able to stand for them. So I really love your last point, Amanda, because you really owned it actually in the beginning of our call before we started recording the podcast. You know, I was just telling Amanda before we started recording, her earphones had like some sort of vibration noise. And I was like, ah, it's so loud. And you said, and one of your points here is don't apologize for things that you didn't do wrong. So it's not your fault that the earphones are broken. All you need to do is go get some different earphones. 
Um, but a lot of women, I think, have a pattern of apologizing. What do you think that's about? And how have you become so empowered where you're not apologizing for things you didn't do wrong? You know, I think a lot of us just say sorry as a filler. So let's say, for example, you figure out who the executive director of a grant-making organization is because you want to start a nonprofit, being totally hypothetical here. And I can so imagine many of you emailing the executive director and opening the email with, I'm so sorry to take your time, which actually doesn't mean that you're sorry to take your time. It's how we have been cultivated to be polite in terms of feeling like we're taking up space or thinking that we are doing something out of the ordinary or that breaks from norms, as if we have to apologize for that. The way I learned it was simply that it was a distinction that was brought to my attention, that I was using sorry for things that I didn't actually do wrong, but really because it's a polite way women in particular has especially been socialized to communicate. And I have to teach every, I hire tons of young nannies and mannies. I have hired as many men to care for my children as I have women. But in particular for the women, I asked my nanny if she could do an extra two hours this weekend. And she said, I'm so sorry. No, I can't. And I have to say to her, you don't have to apologize for the fact that you are already scheduled. And so it's, it's not just recognizing that we don't have to apologize for things that we didn't do wrong. It's that the fact that we say it as, as filler in order to soften our presence in other people's presence. It's interesting because I'm listening to you and I'm also noticing that this is something that I think socially a lot of people do buy into. Like some people genuinely do feel like if you cold email them and they've never heard of you, they do kind of feel like um, invaded upon. Like, oh, uh-huh. this person found their way into my inbox. And so I think socially some people almost want that apology. Like, sorry that I'm appearing in a place that is where you work, you know, in your inbox. Uh Um, So I guess, how do you balance the art of other people expecting that of you? Like, I think a lot of people do want you to be apologetic and stepping into still not being apologetic. I'm sure lots of people want me to give them all their time, all my money, all my attention. And just to be blunt, tough. You can't have it. (laughs) Here's an example. I get lots and lots of emails from people asking me for my time. And I don't even have time to respond to all of them. And then they get offended that I didn't even respond to them. And I don't feel apologetic because I never had an obligation to respond to them in the first place. So just because someone expects something of you doesn't mean you actually owe them that. You know what? They're not going to, they might not like you so much. But seriously, like, do you, are you going to spend your entire life draining your attention and your energy just to protect people from not liking you because they expect something from you that you never owed them in the first place? And I think that comes down to your beliefs and being able to forgive yourself for whatever judgments you're holding on yourself uh, because of that other person's behavior, expectations, whatever have you. So amazing. This has been such a great conversation. I feel like everybody's going to want more of you. So First, I, I want to know, you know, where is the best place people can find you and learn from you? And secondly, what are your parting words? Or if, is there one piece of advice you've given so many nuggets here that if anybody doesn't, if every, anybody forgets everything we just talked about, if there's one thing they could remember, what would it be? So if you would like to find more of me, my name is Amanda Steinberg. Um, and you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. You can Google me, Instagram, and I'm really, really active on social media. So don't don't be shy and do not apologize for taking up space. And also, please don't be offended if I don't respond. But <laughs> by all means, uh, I very much welcome you into my space. 
Um, and then the one thing for you to take away from this is that money is not greed. Money is not evil. Um, you are not bad and wrong for thinking about it. Instead of throwing all of your money at your debt, just make sure that whatever money you are putting towards things that you other people, you are also taking a percentage of that and putting that into your own savings account because there's nothing like a fat savings account to help you make changes in your life and get what you want. Beautiful. Thank you so much for such a great interview. I'm so excited for everybody to listen. Hey there, this is Ashley, and I am just reflecting on this episode with Amanda Steinberg. What a wise, professional, regal, accomplished woman and inspiration. I found her to be very strong, very clear, and an effective communicator, so I'm not surprised that she's been able to create the success she has. But one thing that I really sat with in this interview was really questioning what norms I'm buying into that I want in my life. So I've always wanted to be a mother. I've always wanted to be married and find the right person and feel like I have partnership in my life. Um, I've always told myself I want to read a lot of books, live in foreign countries. But when push comes to shove, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know how it's going to feel until I'm there. And one of the most profound things I took away from that conversation was how much right now You can look at what's true in your life and say, this is what's true for me right now. But that doesn't mean that that's going to hold for you in a year, two years, or five years. So right now I'm in a chapter that feels like I want to be a mother. I want to slow down in my career. I want to lead with connection, whether that's with a partner or with a kid. And it's so interesting because I always kind of thought maybe this is just me, like, you know, sitting in my group of friends who are such incredible businesswomen. And I know that I myself have created a lot of wonderful things in business, but I don't identify with them. And I've my experience in a lot of business, not with this podcast, not with my book deal, but in a lot of other projects has been that it's been a really hard push. I've had to push myself to create my success. I feel like I've had to fight for my success. Like I have a lot of beliefs, but they all feel really true because that's how I feel like I experienced it. And so I guess what I want to ask you as it relates to this interview with Amanda is what's really true for you right now? Like, what are you really wanting right now? And maybe you're tired of your job. Are you, and you're saying you're tired of your career, but maybe you're just tired of your job. Um, so I would say, what, what are you finding yourself saying to friends who are asking you how you're doing? The friends that you really talk to. What are you saying about your life? And where are you not matching up your goals and your way of being? Where are you stuck in a lot of shoulds? Like I should be doing this, but I want to be doing that. Uh, far too often, I think we get caught up in the shoulds that we don't even ask ourselves what we really want. And I think it's so powerful in order to get there that you question everything. So my exercise to you is to write down on a piece of paper, what do you say that you want? What is it that you think you want in your life? And it could be anything. It could be a word like freedom. It could be a goal like finding the right partner. It could be having kids. What are you saying that you want? And I would then ask yourself, how do you know that that's what you want? Are you sure that that's what you want? And if you're not sure, I recommend hanging out with people. So 
that have those things. Um, and that's kind of what we talked about on this episode a little bit. And that's what I've done. And it's totally changed my life. Um, I have so many friends who are now married and I'm starting to make jokes that they're all having kids. And at 31, I'm going to be like the crazy aunt, which is literally becoming true. Like I am the crazy aunt to a lot of their kids. And I'm noticing that a lot of my friends are not happily married. And I'm noticing how much that doesn't work for me and how much I'm going to commit to my happiness and to what feels good. And a lot of the time, I think what gets us stuck is that we're following what we think we're following what we think is going to give us results. And that doesn't always have to do with what feels good. It's what we think is going to feel good. And what I've found is that the most powerful transformation for my own career in life has been following what feels good right now, not what I think is going to feel good. So, you know, sometimes what feels good is writing a book in my career. So I'll start following that. And I'll start to get incredible results because I'm following something that my soul, my body, my heart, my mind, all of it is in alignment with. Um, And I found that sometimes goals are just what interrupts you when you're in your flow. And sometimes these plans we tell ourselves we want isn't actually what we want. And one story I have for this is that one of my closest friends married uh, a billionaire. And he's a really nice guy, but... Um, they're a bit disconnected in their marriage and I house sat for them. And I mean, they have a staff and different people that can take care of their house, but, um, I'd offered to take care of their dog. And I was in this big house for like two weeks. And one thing that I learned that I never would have thought about is how much I don't want a really, really big house ever. And that was mind blowing for me because, Growing up with my dad losing all of his money, I used to go into people's huge houses and think like, oh, this is the dream. They're living the dream. What luxury, what beauty that they surround themselves in. And for me to be in one of these houses, if not even bigger, house sitting for my friend, and I spent the week or two weeks in it and was like, this is too big for me. Like, I don't want something this big. I hear echoes at night. I'm scared somebody's in the house. There's too many staff needed to fix this and operate that and make sure this thing works. And I realized I don't want a house that's much bigger than, you know, three or four bedrooms, depending on how big my family is. That was a huge awareness for me. And it really shifted the pressure I put on myself financially for the goals that I want. Because then I was with the question of, okay, well, then what's true? What do I actually want? And I started to really look at other people's homes and think, oh, I think I want a small house. And I had no idea until I surrounded myself in the reality of somebody else who had something that I thought was really amazing. So ask yourself, do you want to be a mom right now? Like start hanging out with your friends who are moms, start watching their reality. Do you want to be a mom? Um, Another question, ask yourself, do I want to get married? Um, maybe you're with the wrong person and you know that deep down and you don't want to listen to it because it feels really inconvenient to rip the bandaid, not know who you are and step away from that relationship. Um, your life is not what's happening to you. It's what you feel from what's happening to you. Your goals are not what you achieve. It's the feeling you get when you achieve them. We're all chasing a feeling. We're not chasing a goal. We're chasing goals that we think are going to give us a certain feeling. So my recommendation to you, other than to get a piggy bank and start saving, because that is what I'm going to do per Amanda's request, uh, you know, YOLO, but be practical, (laughs) is to, um, that's what people always tell me, because I'm like, YOLO, I'm going to Paris. They're like, be practical. I'm like, okay, YOLO, but being practical. Um, 
But my recommendation to you is to really write down what you think you want and star something that when you really, really, really look at it and you're radically honest with yourself, you don't even know what that reality would feel like. And start surrounding yourself with people in that reality and start honing your vision for what you really want because the brain does well with clarity and the universe makes way for it. But a lot of the times we're following a formula, we're checking checkboxes, and we don't even have the courage to question it. And so if there's anything you get from this episode, it's to question everything. It's to question everything about what you think you want, what you think you know you want, and to put yourself in a situation to viscerally, emotionally, somatically feel if that's actually true for you. All right, this is Ash signing off. I'm going to help some students in my Job Offer Academy course land a new job that they love. And I'm just so honored to be here with you. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.